But, all right, there we are. Hey, Deborah, could you turn me down just a little bit more? Thank you. All right, Denny really freaked me out. I was planning the schedule this Sunday, and I saw nothing about a We Are CLC. But anyway, good morning, church. Um, it is good to be with you all this morning. Today, we are going to be continuing on uh, in our Jesus Plus sermon series. And if you've been following along with us uh, for the last few weeks, you know that each week, We've been covering a different face or a portrait of Jesus. The very first week, Pastor Calvin kicked us off by showing us how Jesus is our good shepherd. And he gave us a very uh, interesting way of looking at Jesus as toothpaste, um, like our daily necessary cleanser. The following week, Scott taught us about Jesus Christ as the vine from John 15. And he encouraged us to abide in him, to um, connect to Christ. For it's when we abide in him that we bear fruit and glorify God. Just last week, Pastor Eric taught us about Jesus is the Son of Man and the Son of God. And because of him, we have access to the God of the universe. Now today we are going to cover yet another facet of who Jesus is. Before that, I kind of want to zoom out really quick and just give us a reminder of what the series is all about. Sometimes, especially for those of us who have grown up in church or you've maybe been attending for a little while now, we tend to think that we know everything. Um, Or we think we could put Jesus in a nice little familiar box. But the thing is, is that Jesus isn't just one thing. In fact, everything in Scripture, everything in the Bible, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, every story, every passage points to Jesus. He is so much more than we could ever imagine. So there's so much for us to learn. He is the Good Shepherd, and He's the Vine. He is the Son of God, and He's the Son of Man. He is the priest, and the king, and the teacher, and the servant, and the savior. He is all of those things. He is so much more than we can ever imagine. And in in this series, our hope in particular is that through these pictures, that we would discover as a church who Jesus is. In all of his beauty, in all of his splendor, in all of his greatness. So that you might experience him. You might encounter him in a very real and new and powerful way. So my hope today and for the rest of the series is that you would be open. Don't just, you know, cast off these stories because you've heard them already or you think you know everything, but be open to what God has for you. Be open to experiencing Jesus in a new way today. Let's pray for that. Let's pray this way. Jesus, we thank you that you are so much greater than we could ever imagine, that you are all those things and more. And so this morning, Lord, we come before you humbly, and we ask that you would speak to us, that your spirit would be speaking to us, that you would be revealing more of who you are, Lord. And I pray that if there are any hearts in here that are hard, Lord, I pray that you would soften them. I pray that you would open our eyes and ears to hear the good news that we have in Jesus this morning. Would you be with us? We love you so much and give you this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, church, today we are talking about, again, another another face of Jesus. 
And today we're going into the fact that Jesus is our great high priest. Now, who's heard of that term or who's heard of Jesus described in that way before? A few? All right. Well, if you haven't, I don't blame you at all. It's kind of weird. (laughs) I mean, even for me, I really wanted to preach this because I've never preached it before. I've never really heard a sermon on it before. Um, And so we're kind of learning together here. But when we think of Jesus, there are certainly more familiar things that we think about, more familiar stories. But Jesus as our great high priest is not necessarily the first thing that comes to our minds. For most of us today, the concept or title of high priest is a little bit foreign, you know. It's not necessarily something that we uh, see or experience in our day-to-day lives. If we're honest, maybe we don't even know what a high priest is or does. And yet still, Jesus is constantly described in this way many times throughout Scripture. In fact, almost the entire book of Hebrews in the New Testament focuses on Jesus' role as our great high priest. It's repeated over and over and over again. And we know that when something's repeated, it's important. We know that that must mean something important and relevant for us today. But why? That's the question that we're trying to answer today. What does that even mean, and why is it relevant for you and for me today? Now, before we get to that, uh, we're going to need a little bit more context to really fully understand what this means for us. Now, like I said, even though the concept is foreign, maybe, it was actually something very familiar, very significant to the people of God back then. For God's people in the Old Testament, the job of the priest was essentially to mediate, to mediate between a sinful people and a holy God sinful people and a holy God. Now, what does a mediator do? Well, a mediator is essentially the in-between person. It's the person who helps settle a conflict or create agreement, reconciliation between two conflicting parties. It's It's the bridge. And this is the job of the priest. The priest did this specifically by offering sacrifices to God to atone for, to make payment for the sins of the people, so that they could be reconciled with God. Now again, the reason that they had to do this was simply because holy and unholy just don't go together. On one end of the spectrum, you have God, and he is holy, and he is mighty, and he is superior and perfect in every possible way. He is set apart from anything that we know and see in this world. And on the other end, you've got us, humanity, broken, sinful, imperfect, unholy. Now, why is this a problem? Well, because of God's justice, because of who he is in his character, in his nature, that he's a just God, we cannot be together. God and sin cannot be together. It just doesn't work that way. And that's exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden, right? With Adam and Eve, remember? When Adam and Eve sinned against God, when they chose to make that decision and eat of the forbidden fruit, sin entered into the world and all that was created good 
all that was created for communion and relationship with God ended up in a world of pain and sin and death and eternal separation from God. That communion, that relationship, that intimacy between God and man, gone. Just like that. Holy and unholy just don't go together. And yet at the same time, God loved his people so much and he desired to be with them. And so you know what he did? Well, he made a plan. And part of this plan was that he created a system with laws and ground rules and parameters for it to work for the time being. And this is where the priest comes in, right? The priest would be that middle person, would serve as a mediator between people and God. When the people sinned, when they disobeyed him, when they messed up, the priest would offer sacrifices to the Lord on their behalf in order to atone, again, make payment for their sins. And in doing so, that would cleanse them. It would bring them temporarily into right relationship with God once again. That was, that was the job of the priest. Now, among the priests, one would be appointed by God to be the high priest. Just one person. And they had many duties. They performed many, did many of the same things as the other priests. But the high priest had one very unique, very important job in particular. The high priest would be the only one who was allowed to enter into the holy of holies, the most holy place in the tabernacle where God dwelled. If you remember, just again for more context, the tabernacle was almost like this tent. Um, It served as like a portable temple, and so it could be lifted, and it could go with God's people wherever they went. It was built by Moses by direct instructions from God himself, down to every last detail and measurement. See, even though intimate communion with God was severed during the fall, God decided to give the Israelites something that would help them sense his presence among them in this world. And for now, this was it, the tabernacle. This was the physical place on earth that out of God's grace he gave his people. It was completely different from any other place on earth. God's presence was uniquely present there. Now, if you look at the photo that's going to come up in a bit, you can see this, that the the tabernacle was separated into three areas. You see the outer court right there. You see the holy place, and then you see the most holy place. Now, the outer court, that big open area right there, is where the priests and the Levites, they ministered, they did their religious duties, they would offer sacrifices for sin and guilt and whatnot. You could read all about it in the book of Leviticus. And that was that big section right there. Now, right in the center of that, you have another tent. And that was uh, called the holy place. And only priests could enter there. And they would do their duty. Now, even beyond this was a smaller chamber, smaller inner room called the most holy place. The holy of holies. You could see it back there. It's kind of the one to the most, right? Um, It's called the Holy of Holies. 
And in this room contained uh, different things like the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat of God. And again, we don't have time to get into those details today, but just know that they're very important. And just know that that specific room, that place represented a special sacred place where God himself would dwell. This was the most holy and sacred place where God's presence would dwell in the midst of his people. And you can see there's a, there's a curtain. That room was separated by a big curtain or veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place. And that curtain symbolized the separation, the, a severed relationship between God and man because of sin. No one was allowed in. No one, you couldn't just waltz into the most holy place like it was no big deal. No, not unless you wanted to drop down dead. There were rules. And in these rules, only the high priest, the one appointed by God once a year, could enter into this place. Hebrews 9, 6-7 says this, When everything had been arranged like this, priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, never without a sacrifice, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. So you see that one day, on the Day of Atonement, once a year, the high priest would enter into the most holy place, cross that veil to stand before God himself and to make sacrifices to cover his own sins and the sins of all the people. And in this way, the high priest served as a mediator, a bridge between a sinful people and a holy God. At this moment in history, this was the only way that it could work. So you get the picture, right? People back then, this is very familiar for them. They knew, they understood. They couldn't just come to God out of their own initiative or standing. They couldn't just casually walk into the Holy of Holies and be with God. That was just unimaginable. They knew that they had to go to God through a mediator that he appointed himself. And this was the job of the high priest. But don't you see something curious about this whole thing? Something interesting. The system was not complete. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't sufficient. Think about it, right? Each time someone sinned or messed up, they'd have to make a sacrifice. Think about how many times you mess up in a day. Each time you think a judgy thought about someone or you gossip about someone behind their back, each time you lose your temper and blow up or you're impatient with your kids, you say things that you don't mean. Each time you give in to temptation when no one is looking, thinking like it's no big deal, every single one of those things, you'd need a sacrifice. Every single one. You need a sacrifice. You'd have to go to the high priest. He would have to sacrifice on your behalf, and you'd have to do it over and over and over again. Can you imagine how tiring that is? Can you just feel it? Just talking about it seems tiring. Why would God give them a system that wasn't perfect? Well, it's because 
God had a bigger plan. And this was just part one. Hebrews 10, 1 to 4 says this, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. See, the tabernacle, the the rituals, the sacrifices, the priests, this whole system that God gave in his great love was simply temporary. It was merely a shadow. It could never, ever make us perfect enough to be with God. It was simply a picture foreshadowing the true hope, the, the good things which were still to come. It's kind of like this. Many of you know um, I got married in November to Stephen. He's over there in the corner. <laughs> well, most of you don't know that actually two weeks into us officially dating, um, he actually left the country. <laughs> uh, he left the country for 10 months, actually, to do a missions training program. And because of the, the rules and the values of the training, we weren't allowed to talk on the phone. We weren't allowed to video call. In fact, we were only allowed one email per week. I'm going to put him on the spot a little bit, but before he left, knowing that these were gonna, this was going to be the situation, Stephen actually pre-recorded 37 videos for me. Yeah, that's right. One for each of the 37 weeks that he would be gone. And so every Tuesday morning, I'd have the, you know, the great blessing of getting an email from a friend with this video. And as I watched it, it was like he was just here for even a moment. You better believe I watched those videos many, many times over and over again. Ten months is a long time. All those weeks that he was gone, I was able to watch those videos and see him virtually, and it was just so awesome. But let me ask you, what's better, videos or the real thing? Videos of Stephen or the real, actual, physical Stephen standing before me? Maybe you might say the videos, but no, I'm just kidding. No, of course, we would all say the real thing. The real thing is always better. It's the same thing here. This Old Testament system with the priests and the tabernacle and the sacrifices being made over and over again was but a mere picture. It served a great purpose in the temporary but it was always meant to point to something greater, more permanent, the real thing which was to come. And in this real thing, Jesus is the great high priest. Jesus is the great high priest. So what does that mean? And how is that any different? Well, when we look at it like this, Jesus is now the mediator between us and God. He's the one who stands between, the one who allows us to have access 
to God to come to him freely. And how does he do this? Well, Hebrews 10, 11 to 14 says this. says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, when Jesus had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he awaits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made, he has made perfect forever those who are being made. First of all, Jesus was not like any other high priest that came before him. That's exactly what the author of Hebrews is trying to get us to see, trying to get the people back then to see. Jesus is not like any other priest that came before him. He is greater. He is better. He is in all ways superior, so it works this time. Right? The text says that every other priest himself was sinful and broken and had to atone for his own sins first before he atoned for the sins of his people. But Jesus was perfect and blameless. He never sinned a day in his life. The earthly priests performed their religious duties day after day, the same thing, offering the same sacrifices, which the text says again, can never take away sins. But Jesus made the perfect sacrifice once and for all to pay the penalty of sin in full so that no more sacrifices would ever need to be made. And he did this by dying on the cross for us himself that we might be saved from our sin and reunited with God again. See, guys, now no more sacrifices. No more earthly priests. No more barriers between God and man. Just the real thing. Jesus is the perfect, great high priest that we've always needed. He's the real thing that God's people have always been waiting for. And he's here. And because of him, you know what what does this mean? Well, to answer our first question, it means that through him, we now have full access full access to unbroken, intimate communion with God. I'll say that again. Through Jesus, we now have full access to unbroken, intimate communion with God. No more barriers, nothing else separating, no more fear, just full access. You might be thinking, okay, well, we answered that first question, what does this mean? But who cares? Why? Why is this relevant to me? Why should I even care that Jesus is our great high priest? Well, there are many reasons, but I will just say this one. It's because you need him. You need him. We all need a great high priest. We all need one. Just like the people of God back then needed one, we need a great high priest. We need a mediator, a bridge. See, the fact of the matter is that circumstances have not changed. We are still sinful. God is still holy. Holy and unholy still cannot go together. The wages of sin is still death, and we are all guilty of it. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
There is not one person worthy to enter into the most holy place. Not one person righteous enough to stand before God himself on their own. All of us, all of us, we're guilty of it. We're sinners. I don't mean to offend you, but we are. The circumstances have not changed. But you know what? The solution has. Our circumstances have not changed, but the solution has. And it's Jesus. It's all in the name of Jesus. It's all because of what Jesus has done on the cross for you. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. For the people of God back then, that old system, that was all that they had. They knew that there was something, someone greater to come to save them, but it didn't come in their lifetime. But you and me, we now have the privilege of knowing the real thing. We know what God has already done on the cross out of love for us. No, we can't come to God out of our own initiative or standing or status. We can't earn our place or pay off our sins ourselves. It doesn't work that way. But we know the one who can and who did. And you know what? When Jesus becomes our great high priest, you know what happens? We don't have to be afraid anymore. We don't have to be separated anymore. The over and over again, the author of Hebrews repeats this hope. Let's just read it together. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with what? With confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Hebrews 6.19 says, We have this hope as an anchor for our souls, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus has entered on our behalf. Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have, again, confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Do you hear that? Do you see that? When Jesus is our great high priest, we can run to him. We can now approach him with boldness. Draw near to him with a sincere heart, full of all assurance, knowing that Jesus is seated at the most high place at the right hand of God, interceding for us, pleading for us on our behalf. We can come with confidence, not in what we do, but in what Christ has already done for us on the cross. And when we enter into the most holy place with Jesus, leading the way as our great high priest. God no longer sees our sinfulness. He no longer sees our brokenness. Instead, he sees us covered by the perfect righteousness and the perfect holiness of Jesus Christ. Church, we all need a great high priest. We all need one. Wouldn't you want Jesus to be yours? I was 
17 years old when I accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And, you know, I didn't have all the answers back then, and I definitely don't have them now. I didn't know everything. I didn't have it all figured out before I said yes to him. But what I did know was that there was a God out there who loved me. There was a God out there who desired an unbroken, intimate, personal relationship with me. And who went to such great lengths as to even sacrificing his own son on the cross to get to me. It was the best decision that I have ever made in my entire life. And church, he wants that for you too. He wants it. If there's anyone here who doesn't know him like that, he wants you. He wants you so badly. And you know what? The good news is that he has made a way for you to come to him boldly, freely, fearlessly today. All you have to do is say yes. He's already done all the work. All you have to do is say yes. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish have eternal life. Church, out of love for us and in obedience to the Father, Jesus not only became the great high priest, our mediator, but he also became the perfect sacrifice, humbling himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, that he might take our place and pay the penalty of our sins once and for all. No more sacrifices. No more priests, no more barriers, just full access to unbroken, intimate communion with God. The scriptures say that when Jesus was crucified to the cross, in his last moments, he cried out again in a loud voice and gave up his spirit. And at that very moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top. The same curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place. The same veil that stood between a holy God and sinful man. The same barrier that severed the intimate communion between us and God in the garden. It was torn in two. And in that moment, through his death, came a new way, a living way for us to come forward to God with boldness and to have communion with him once again. Church, we all need a great high priest. We all need one. But will you let Jesus be yours today? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your greatness. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God who didn't leave us there. But you're a God who ran after us. You, you're a God who showed us grace upon grace upon grace. You gave us Jesus as our great high priest that we might know you intimately, that we might have a personal relationship with you with no barriers, no obstacles. We thank you, Lord, that you've already paid the price in full for what we deserved. You gave everything for us, Lord. We thank you. I pray, Lord, this morning that if there's anyone out there who wants that intimate relationship with you, Lord, I pray that they would just run to you and that you would be there with open arms as you are. 
receiving us with boldness and confidence because of what you have done. We thank you, Lord, that you are our great high priest forever and always. We love you so much, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.